Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com and use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit. Endo Decoded Report, Personalized Cannabinoid and Terpene Suggestion, Endo Aligned Product Matching in Your State, Suggested Dosage Guidelines, and Optimum Methods of Administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeca Soft Gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeca Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. Today, we're going to be talking all about Florida cannabis laws. Hi, everybody. My name is Tom Howard. If you need anything, you can Google Cannabis Lawyer and you'll be able to find me. But today we have a very special episode. We're going to be talking all about Florida cannabis laws with Dustin Robinson. Dustin, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on with you. Awesome. Miggy, how's things going with you over in Seattle, man? It's good, man. Just a uh, fight for home grow. And uh, awesome. that shit right there, man, is why I hate software. I'm just saying, dude. Yeah, you gotta let that roll. Fortunately, we're doing a lot better than we were earlier. Anyway, uh, that's that's what happens when you have a coast to coast show. Where are you coming from, Dustin? I'm here in Florida, sunny, sunny South Florida. It's beautiful weather out here. So uh, you're not wearing fur-lined pants like I am here because it's like 25 degrees outside. Yeah, no, it's it's beautiful out. I was out on the boat yesterday. Today's a work day. Beautiful sunshine right out the window. So, what type of things are you working on in uh, Florida cannabis? So we got a lot of different stuff going on here in Florida. Um, obviously, not counting the stuff going on in, on the hemp side, we got a lot of stuff on the marijuana side. Um, just a little quick history here in Florida. Um, we licensed several uh, what we call MMTCs down here, medical marijuana treatment centers. Those are vertically integrated licenses here in Florida. Um, they were licensed through the Department of Health. And then after that, there were several lawsuits here in Florida um, so basically right now we have 22 licensees and a vast majority of those licenses were, um, provided through settlement agreements, um, you know, outside yeah, really. of actual, say that again. Uh, so that's interesting because, uh, here in Illinois, they're thinking about how they should be budgeting to sue the state and they have extra licenses kind of built up into the statutory maximum. So I'm wondering if a lot of the settlement agreements will be for licenses. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, I would say that any state that is doing um, any licensing needs to allocate significant resources to having to litigate. I know Missouri just announced um, their winners. I was working with a couple teams on the Missouri applications, and the good application writers, when they're drafting it, 
they are drafting it so that they could set themselves up to be able to bring a cause of action to the extent that they don't get a license. So um, that's actually a strategy that a lot of people use. And, and here in Florida, the licenses were valued so highly. I mean, we have vertical integration. Yeah. So you would get it. The piece of paper was, was, was selling for $60 million. That's with no real estate, no operation. So with so much on the line, people don't make mind paying, you know, a million dollars in attorney fees yeah. to try to get that $50 million license. Whereas in other States, the value of the license may not be as high. You know, if you have a, the piece of paper is worth, let's say, you know, 500,000 or a million, you must be, might be less inclined to, you know, pay an attorney a few hundred grand litigating over it. But when the licenses are worth 50 million, you know, you're like, you know what, I'll, t I'll, t I'll take my, my swing at it. And sometimes, you know, other people are financing that litigation that see opportunities. Hang on a second. Isn't that Barrett? No, no, that's not Barrettry. What is it when, uh, with Champerty, that's Champerty. And, uh, unfortunately we're going to have to learn, uh, some, some arcane legal terms. Uh, mm. but, uh, so people were, you're not allowed to do that. It's it's legitimately a thing. You know, champerty and maintenance. Well, in theory, you're not supposed to be able to do that. Champerty is like, you know, an intermeddling of a disinterested party to encourage a lawsuit. Well, that's maintenance, it sees. But it's it's essentially the same type of thing where somebody else that's not the person who is related to the lawsuit has a financial interest in it. So I guess they allow champerty in Florida. <laughs> I've actually never heard that terminology. But I mean, at the end of the day, there's there's often times where people have lawsuits and they can't finance them and other people come in to finance a lawsuit in exchange for something. So, yeah, I think the Champerty thing is probably more focused. Oh, on it's from the feudal people. times. Yeah. That was, more, uh, that was an old friend from Champart. So, yeah. yeah. I, uh, but still I you're seeing some impropriety if you're going out and you're trying to find people to file lawsuits. Mm -hmm. That's probably what that's aimed towards. But this is an instance where you know, people wanted to file lawsuits. They just didn't have the capital to spend a million dollars on it. So they went in and found investors that were willing to finance the lawsuit in exchange for some equity. And, uh, and, and then they got a, a license that we're able to flip, flip it for 55, $60 million. So obviously now they, they issued, they just recently issued eight new licenses through a settlement. They're called the one pointers. These were people that scored within one point um, in the initial, initial application process. So right now we have eight licensees out of the 22 um, that are pretty new and they're trying to raise capital to run a vertically integrated company. Very it, costs about, it costs about $20 million. You know, but that's the number. When you say vertical, you, you mean that they're also that they grow, that they're store, that they're process. They're all in one, right? And that's the structure yeah. for Florida. So, so what's crazy in Florida is, is they have to, they have to grow, process, dis dispense and deliver. So, and, and you can't contract out any of that. So it's not like there's any delivery companies that are doing the delivery. Each individual entity has their own delivery service. And you could imagine that becomes pretty inefficient. If you have some, you know, two neighbors right next to each other, one's ordering from one dispensary, the other's ordering from another dispensary, and you got two cars driving to deliver to you know, close proximity, it would make more sense if there was a delivery service yeah. that was able to pick up from both of those dispensaries in one car. And so there's certain inefficiencies and there's a couple bills in this next, next legislative session. Um, they're trying to think there's actually a Florida Supreme Court. So lower courts have actually deemed that structure to be against our Florida constitution. What did the Florida, because let's talk about how Florida became a medical marijuana state. So Florida, first we had um, a, a statute, which is basically just very, very um, low THC um, 
It sounds a lot like uh, West Virginia we were talking about in the, the back. Uh, West Virginia, you can't get flour. You can't even get vapes. Nothing smokable, and you have to process. Is that how Florida started? You weren't allowed to have flour? Yeah, so so Florida, I'm actually working on a West Virginia app right now. And, yeah, that's, that's how West Virginia looks. And, yeah, Florida started off um, only with very, very simple um, and low doses. Um, but what we basically came through with is uh, there was a constitutional amendment constitutional amendment basically said that these MMTCs, medical marijuana treatment centers, could grow, process, dispense, or deliver. So it had that word or in our Florida constitution. And then in uh, 2017, when the legislator went to enact that constitutional amendment, they called, they said that it was grow, process, dispense, and deliver, essentially creating this vertically integrated entity that has to do all of them. It's, so, it's the difference I, between the conjunctive and yes. uh, mandatory versus the permissive. One of them's conjunctive and the other one is, uh, I'm not sure what they call it. But yeah, I, I get asked a lot about this court case and people are sometimes like, oh, it's too complicated. I don't need to know the legal stuff. I'm like, no, it's very simple. It's the difference between and and or. Right. The Constitution uses the word or, which means you could either cultivate, process, dispense, mm. or deliver. Um, the Florida statute came in and, and used the word and, which means that the entity needs to basically do all of those things. So right now, the Florida Supreme Court is taking on that case, and all signs are pointing towards them affirming that ruling, which would essentially mean the vertical integration would be broken up, and the, they'd have to come back and create a horizontal structure down here. That's the conjunctive versus the disjunctive. So the conjunctive is and, and the disjunctive is or. No, like it, it this is like, because it is a, at its core, we, we talk about cannabis legalization from a legal perspective as opposed to from like a policy perspective, but there's a lot of policy that goes on in our conversations. And so just like in Florida or in Illinois, uh, we'll have lawsuits and you you fight over the meaning of the word and or, the uh, you know, and or. I mean, that's that's literally what it is. And when they say or, it's supposed to be in that disjunctive there. And so by vertically integrating it, and then also by building in an extra $100,000, $250,000 for suing the state so you can settle for a license, that has put the price of a cannabis license, not just in the state of Florida, but anywhere, uh, way higher than it should have been, or could yeah. yeah, 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 the licenses are super high, and, and quite honestly, the Department of Health is spending tons of money on litigating this, and they don't have the resources mm. to do it. And it's also taking away from their budget to actually enforce the the actual provisions that the MMTC should be following. And so there's actually not as much enforcement as there should be just because the DOH really doesn't have the resources. It doesn't. It's my understanding that there's only like four players in, in uh, Florida. Is that true? Like how so, many? Yeah. So the original licensing was like, I think they, they licensed like four or five players. So those guys had a, a huge head start on the market. Um, and then subsequent to that, they licensed, um, and, and now, now we're up to 22 licensees. Right now, there's only about eight or nine that are really operational. Out yeah. of those eight or nine, four or five of them are really dominating because they had a huge head start. So there's no cap. On, so the dispensary in the statute, it says they're capped at 25 dispensaries. So not only could they grow, process, and dispense, um, and unlike um, – in, in Illinois, where they're capped for their, their craft grow size at 5,000 square feet. In Florida, you're not capped on your grow. You're not capped on your processing. And for mm -hmm. dispensing, you're limited to 25 locations. But 
when you get up to when we as we get to every hundred thousand patients, you get another five dispensaries. So right now we're at over three hundred thousand patients. So each of these vertically integrated entities can essentially have twenty five plus basically about forty dispensaries. And there was also some lawsuits that actually allow some of those licensees to even open up even more dispensaries. So that's why they refer to these yeah. licenses as super licenses. And, you know, it costs obviously a tremendous amount of money to, you know, not only grow, not only process, but also to try to open up all these dispensing locations. So well, it's, it seems the state of Florida gave four people the advantage, you know, four. It wasn't licenses. four people. It was four Florida men. Now, uh, and then it wasn't also four, four people. It's not like there's four guys sitting around, sitting on 20 million each, and they're just all throwing in. These right. had to be an organizations that came together and put put a lot of capital and a lot of talent on the, in, the, uh, in the street, because otherwise you're not going to be able to grow that fast. Well, and you know, even, to, even to correct that, it's, it's not even Florida men. And that's what a lot of people here hmm. in Florida are pretty upset about is that licenses were issued to, you know, farmers here in Florida. And there was some requirements that they, you know, were running a nursery for, for 30 years. But right when they got that license, they were sold to, to big MSOs. So right now in Florida, pretty much all of the, the licenses that are operational are owned by very, very large MSOs that have nothing to do. They're not Florida men. They're not Florida people. They're not even Florida companies. They're just enormous MSOs. But, you know, in, in, in the farmer's defense, a lot of people give these farmers a lot of slack for selling off these licenses. But the reality is, is that with banking being as challenging as it is and with it being vertically integrated and so expensive to become operational, these farmers, some of them might be wealthy farmers. They may have 1 million or 2 million. They don't have 20 million. So they really have no option. They can't go to a bank to get a loan. They really have no option but to sell it off for equity. And, and that's what they did. So, you know, I don't think it's necessarily the farmer's fault. I think the, the whole system was was a little flawed. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's a new system. And I think Florida is actually doing a pretty good job. I think the vertical integration did help with a lot of different issues. But I think we're at a point where we definitely got to change over to horizontal. Well, do you think, I mean, because if they don't change over to horizontal or give you guys more opportunity, those four people are just going to watch the good growers get good at it and then buy them. I mean, essentially, they'll, if there's no cap, because like here in Washington, we so have. Like, that's so basically what you're saying, like unlike in Illinois, where we have these caps about license holding so nobody can dominate the industry. In Florida, it looks like, and it sounds like in Washington, you have the exact opposite problem where you have some big players that are comprising the vast majority of what's going on. And then it's just impossible to get into the game. Yeah. And just to be clear in, in Florida, no one entity could have more than 5% interest in one license. So, you know, it's not like you, you could, you know, one entity in Florida could then buy up another license, but yes, I mean, there's not much really a carriage. Um, no, well, the, the, the licenses have to be separate. So there's really no reason for them to merge under one license. I mean, that license has $50 million worth of value. So why would you merge them into one license when you have that much value? So, I mean, you do see some of like MedMen. They just did a big layoff down here. I know they had big plans for, um, you know, their dispensaries and they laid off a tremendous amount of people. And really a lot of them, MedMen and Certera were financing the petition down here to go for recreational um, and they put up tremendous capital and obviously they were betting on recreational to come through. And, it's, and it looks like that's been punted. What's going on with the yeah, uh, so, recreational legalization for 2020? Absolutely. So there was two groups regulate Florida and then there was the MILF petition. So 
Regulate Florida um, really got started pretty early. The, their problem was they they weren't getting the support of the 22 licensees. So they really didn't have the funding to get the signatures. You need over 700,000 signatures to get it on the ballot here in Florida. And they got up to a little over 100,000. It got to Supreme Court review, which was, which was fantastic that they were able to get it to that point. Um, but then MILF came on board and they were funded by MedMen and Certera. And a lot of people were upset with some of the language yeah. in, in that petition. I was upset because I just want everyone to work together. It's very frustrating that we're fighting with one another if we all just would have come together. So now you have Regulate Florida that's got 100,000 signatures. You got MILF that's got a couple hundred thousand signatures. The time was taken. Basically, they, they had to have a certain amount by February. They weren't going to hit it. So they basically bowed out. So, you know, it's unfortunate. They, they, they had the opportunity to come together. And I think if they came together, we could have seen it legalized. The biggest issue is home grow. I know you just mentioned at the beginning of the show that you're trying to fight the fight on home grow. The MILF petition didn't have anything in there relating to home grow. The regulate Florida. Now, when you petition. say this MILF petition, can you unpack the MILF petition? Because I'm here in MILF and I'm like, I, I think that should have gotten more uh, signatures, especially in Florida. What does that stand for? Yeah. You know what? I, I call it the MILF petition. It's a good question. Let's... It's marijuana legalization in Florida. It's yeah, marijuana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah I, the fact that you said MILF, that Florida. should have been a freaking, they should have marketed it off that because it, it doesn't just it split it like that. And you've got, you've diluted it, you know? Yeah, but that's, that's kind of like yeah, an issue where yeah. you're like, okay, so you have these two competing ballot initiatives, and then you've just you've made your job twice as hard. And then again, was it was home grow going to be provided for medical patients in either of them, or or what was the home grow issue that one splintered off from the other? So really, regulate Florida was the grassroots movement of you know the everyday person that really really just wants marijuana legalization. The MILF movement was really backed by the, the, the med men in Certera, and it was to their benefit to not include anything related to home grow. Of course, they'll argue that they were silent with respect to home grow, and they'll, they're going to leave it to the legislator, and they had their reasons for, for leaving home grow out of it. You know, they said that it would complicate the constitutional amendment, and in order to get a constitutional amendment, you want to keep it simple, and they wanted to keep it, like the MILF petition was extremely simple, extremely short, the regulate Florida petition was extremely long with extremely large amount of detail in it. So the question that um, I have about Florida and also Washington states like it, and you know, Illinois, it's not, I guess it's a two part question. First, could the legislature in Florida actually get their act together and put together a statute? Because when you're talking about a ballot initiative, this would be the second part. Um, you put what's supposed to amend the Constitution on that and it's usually quite short. Who interprets that? And make yeah. rules so that it can actually be a legislative rubric like we have a need with cannabis uh, as an industry. Yeah. So right now we have actually Senator Brand Jeff Brandis um, put out Senate Bill 1860, which is for adult use. Actually, in the last legislative session, um, House Representative Michael Greco, um, he actually put out a, a, a recreational bill as well. He knew it didn't. I'm friends with Michael. He told me it, it doesn't really have a shot. But he wanted to send the message, hey, this is something we, we at least want to have as part of the discussion last year. So this year, Jeff Brandis filed this bill, 1860. It's, it's, a, it's a good bill. I, I support it. 
It um, does have, I know we talked a lot about the social equity components of Illinois statute. It has a component of, it allows for expungement of criminal stuff. So to some extent, there is some social equity component there. But that Um, doesn't give any points for the applicants to have the, the, the cannabis arrest or anything. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, out in Illinois, as you know, you know, you get 20% of the points if you're applying with someone with ownership and control um, of that entity. And so that's a huge amount of points. So anyone who is not applying with a social equity is pretty much, they have no chance. So yeah, Florida, they, didn't, they didn't allocate any points whatsoever. Um, of course, it contemplates a competitive licensing structure. Yeah. And the reality is, is that with our, with our, conservative legislator right now, there's a very little likelihood that it could pass through um, through uh, the legislator. It really is more likely through a constitutional amendment. But you know what? In this industry, you never know. So, so you know, I'm hopeful. I'm, def- I'm obviously keeping track of, of the movement on this bill. Um, they're in session now. And so they're meeting and they're talking about it. It, it probably will not end up in the form that it's in currently. Um, it will probably go through several different revisions to the extent that it does make it out and does get approved, but, um, it's huge opportunity. And, and what's really interesting about it is it also a big thing in Florida is the vertical integration. They're not allowed to contract out any, anything. So from growing to processing, to dispensing, they can't really contract out any of those services. The Senate bill 1860, um, explicitly allows them to contract out. Um, some of those. So what that means is that there's going to be service providers that can now come in and contract um, with these licensed companies. So a lot of people need to understand that, like to the extent they want to do transportation, there's going to be opportunities for companies to pop up that are, you know, specializing in the transportation of cannabis. um, And that currently is not available here in Florida right now. Hey, you mentioned your uh, conservative politicians, and, and uh, you know when I think Florida, I think old people and the conservatism and all the money down there. I used to live in Jersey, so I, I'm familiar with that mentality of the population and whatnot. Um, do you think, as a resident, and whatnot, and being someone who watches your politics, uh, is there like a lot of pushback from big pharma? I mean, how come more people aren't reaching out to your older uh, voting population? Because that conservative person, uh, I mean. We make marijuana to be taboo. It's not. It's 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 like ointment. It's a it's 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 like you know it's better than alcohol. It's it's like eventually when we get to the legalization that we all want, it'll be you can buy it like broccoli, right? Like a pound for fifty cents because mass people are growing. Let's let's at least draw the line at vodka. You know, like cards. It's it's going to be an industry that's expensive to get into, but you can get into it. Well, look, if you look at, if you look at a fed, on a federal level, you'll see that both parties are starting to come together on this issue. And I think, you know, you're starting to see yeah. that here in Florida and you're seeing that throughout a lot of different states. So I think historically, you know, obviously it's been the conservatives that have been. And, and look, I don't have anything against conservatives. You know, I yeah. actually, you know, I am a conservative myself. Yeah. On You know, I vote on the issues. Um, but on this particular issue. You know, they're they're very weary, but a lot of them have switched over. I've talked to a lot of conservative legislators that have switched over and they're believers. They've talked to some of the the older demographic we have in Florida. They've understood the medicinal benefits. Some of the doctors that I work with have have really made their voices heard 
um, up in Tallahassee at our state capitol. So do you think that, do you think the do you think the message of Florida? I'm sorry, which one do you think resonates more with the people of Florida regarding their marijuana laws? The message about how it is good, effective medicine, or the message that it's good business? Because like when I think Florida, yeah, I think conservative, but I think yeah, but they're business conservative. They they care about what they're doing. You know, they care about their numbers. Yeah. Well, that's why whatever message you're trying to convey, you know, look in law school, you always teach, you got to know who your audience is. And I, I'm, that's one thing I'm very, very, I always know who my audience is. You got to know if you're talking to a, a simpleton versus, a, you know, an educated person, someone who understands finance, someone who doesn't understand finance, you got to understand who, who you're talking to. And yes, the things that resonate with the conservative people are that this is a money-making thing. There's a lot of opportunity here, a lot of tax, tax dollars we could be getting. Of course, we don't want to make the mistakes that California made in some of these other states by taxing it too hard. Um, but, you know, there's there's a lot of business opportunities. I think that resonates with the conservative group quite quite a bit. Um, but, you know, it's also always important to talk about some of the medicinal medicine. Another challenge yeah. down here is the a lot of the, the municipalities that actually ban dispensaries, which is allowed in our state statute. So I, I've done a lot of work at a local level as well, educating some of the local officials um, about, you know, why they should not be banning. And obviously a lot of that is based on stigma. It's just right. educating the public and trying to- The NIMBY effect, the not in my backyard effect yeah. is big. But let's educate the public right now and me being the public, because I'm from Illinois where we aren't allowed to do ballot initiatives to amend our constitution. How do you take that small, tiny little amendment that they put in there and create a whole uh, legislative you know, fabric, including administrative rules, so that you can license and regulate the cannabis industry or the marijuana industry in, in Florida? Well, it all starts with a petition, you know, so, you know, you got to draft the petition. And, and like I said, the regulate Florida petition was cut quite lengthy and actually once you go through that, I think you need over like 90,000 signatures. The Supreme Court then does um, a financial review and they review the language and, you know, the language of the of the constitutional amendment needs to be obviously super clear. And it really needs to be one topic covered. You know, you're not supposed to cover multiple multiple topics. Um, so, you know, once once you get past that Supreme Court review, you get the signatures gets on the ballot. You need to get to get like seven hundred sixty six thousand signatures or something like that. Um, then it gets on the ballot. You got to vote for it. Then the legislators got to go in and they've got to create a statute that's cons consistent with that um, constitution. And that's really what the Florida Supreme Court case is about, where that legislator came in. And obviously, the Florida Constitution is supreme over the Florida statute. And when there's a there's a conflict between the Florida statute and the Florida Constitution, there's an issue and that statute would be deemed unconstitutional. And that's the situation we're in right now. Hey, Dustin, it's, it's been a long time since I've been on the East Coast. So, like, is, is spring break still a thing over there, man? Like, is Daytona and all that shit still a thing? Absolutely. I, I live in Fort Lauderdale Beach. So, yeah, come 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 March time, it's crazy down here. I try, yeah. to, stay, I try to stay away from the beach during that Well, time. as I was saying, the argument that should be made here this in this moment, right? Because I remember. And, 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 I mean, wild shit happens. Uh, uh, wild shit. But it's fueled, uh, by, uh, it's fueled by Jimmy Buffett's rum company. I'm just saying, yeah, it's Jimmy all Buffett's alcohol. Own Suntera? Or Sertera, is that one of the companies that uh, yeah. so Buffett has some action in the Florida cannabis market? Yeah, Sertera is involved. And I'll tell you, with the beach, you know, one of the Deerfield, um, I spoke at the Deerfield hearing when they were looking to ban uh, marijuana dispensaries. And their 
they what really caught their attention is when MedMen purchased the location on the beach. And MedMen, you know, they're recreational. They're focused when you look at them from yeah, a market. They're the recreational real estate cannabis play. Yeah. So they were thinking, oh, five years from now, we'll all have spliffs. We'll be listening to reggae. It'll be beautiful. On the beach, chilling in Deerfield Beach. And that scared the crap America. out of the, the Deerfield people. And, and they actually ended up doing a ban after the fact. So MedMen got their location, um, but they actually banned it. And I actually think that that, that decision was actually contrary to what they're permitted to do under the Florida statute. The Florida statute does not allow them to put, if they allow marijuana dispensaries, they cannot put a cap. And what I believe happened, if you read the minutes of that hearing in the Deerfield session, and this happens all throughout the different municipalities, really their basis for wanting to ban the dispensaries was that they thought they already had enough of them. So if the statute doesn't let you put a cap on the front end on the amount of dispensaries, why are you allowed to allow some dispensaries and then say, all right, we have enough. Now we're going to ban it. It's essentially it's substance over form. Substantively, they're, they're doing the same thing. So if, if an MMTC wanted to fight that that ban, I think that they'd have a pretty good case. Uh, it just seems insane to me in Florida, of all places, that these asinine politicians are preventing marijuana on, on the beach. Uh, uh, every bad instance i remember growing up that happened in florida or atlanta or all the bad shit at least festivals on spring break occasions was alcohol fueled you know if, if worst what 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 did you have to have more bad shit happen in your fucking town with alcohol before you say okay let's get I mean, like, a chance when fish did big cypress to ring in the new year like and i don't mean like oh my god there's a fish concert that lasts seven hours on the beach Way to go, potheads in Florida. No, I mean, but it's that stigma is real, man. And that stigma is pervasive. And then if that's where people go to retire, it also correlates to age. So, I mean, like, but, I mean you've seen him like, and then so like with his silver tuna tour, he's actually out there trying to go to the villages and break that stigma. But, but yeah, you've well, seen I mean, actual, it, okay. it, it, it even, you know, that stigma carries over. I'm, I'm starting not to get too off topic, but I'm starting to get very involved in the the psilocybin mushroom movement. Um, and I actually launched my not-for-profit just last week. We're going to be coming up with our, our, with our website in February. Uh, but our not-for-profit is focused on using medical and spiritual research to drive responsible legal reform of psilocybin mushrooms in Florida. And we've already made significant improvement, but the challenge once again is, is the stigma. It all, it's yeah. the same thing in cannabis. You got to overcome the stigma. And you said it yourself, alcohol, you have people that drink too much and die from alcohol. No one's, no, one's dying, no one's dying from smoking cannabis and no one's dying from taking psilocybin mushrooms. Now they may make some bad decisions. And I think that's yeah. why I say we need to have responsible legal reform where people are taking it under, you know, a certain setting, perhaps. Um, so people have, you know, walked in front of cars and, and right, yeah. well, it's it, it, it a hallucinogen, but it appears yeah. to have medical properties. However, and I'm not I'm not boned up on it. Before we turn our attentions back to Florida <laughs> marijuana laws, uh, really briefly, what is psilocybin's schedule under the Controlled Substances Act? So so psilocybin is, you know, has had a long history um, in our culture. And what's interesting is that. You know, it, it goes back. It, you look at the tribes, all the big tribes, they're still doing it. And some of them are, are actually allowed to take um, stuff like ay ayahuasca for, for spiritual reasons and stuff like that. Um, but the, um, the, the research that's being done and really how I got into it, which which I think is 
really interesting is is all, almost not all my clients, but a, a large amount of my cannabis clients were very interested in getting in psilocybin, and they were interested in putting up capital, raising capital, and start doing some stuff. Um, whether it be in Jamaica or Denver, just decriminalized it. Oakland decriminalized. Actually, Chicago decriminalized as well. Um, Vermont has a bill. Oregon's got a constitutional petition. And so I was getting those inquiries. And then, quite honestly, I wasn't that interested because I thought it was kind of a joke. I'm, I myself hadn't taken psychedelics. So I actually talked to some of my doctors that I represent. And I talked to about seven to 10 doctors. And hands down, every single one of them were huge believers in the medicinal value. Um, so then I started doing my own research and um, started talking to some, some of the growers and the therapists out in Jamaica talking to psychiatrists down here that are using ketamine, some of my pain management doctors that are using ketamine. Um, and I, I, I believe more so in the medicinal value now of uh, psilocybin mushrooms than I do of cannabis. The, the evidence that they have is, is enormous. And even the FDA is starting to get behind it. So um, it's actually from an FDA perspective more, more accepted than cannabis is. Yeah. But you're talking about like microdosing, like even like with, with uh, shrooms, uh, I know a guy here, he'll put them in capsules. And I mean, I remember as a child, you know, being uh, college, man, you, you take a couple. I did it for fun. Like this is going to be a good night because I took a lot and uh, it is beneficial medicinally. I mean, you're, you're talking naturopathic things. Everything can help us. Right. Like even like turmeric and all this other shit. It's well, all, one, thing, one thing that I think know? is really important whenever I discuss anyone's trip on, on psilocybin mushrooms, they all speak almost poetically. Like, you know, they shed a piece of their skin or they all have this, this oneness with the earth. And if you think about the three main things they're looking to cure with psilocybin mushrooms is depression, PTSD, and addiction. And if you really think about all what all three of those things are, there, there's something's happening in the mind. There's some blockage. Something is just not there. And what psilocybin mushrooms do is it allows you to just shed that and open your mind up and, and gain broader perspective and really reset your mind. And that's what they're doing out in Jamaica. There's a lot of therapy centers out there that you go and you do seven days retreats and so on and so forth. I know what I'm doing after uh, application season ends here in March. But, you know, we it's acceptable to take a pill that fucking makes you loopy like xanax and whatnot opposed to a pill yes. filled with just crying up mushrooms I or mean, like or one that's called an ssri that one's fine but that i think the the legalization of cannabis in florida illinois seattle uh and then it looks like the deregulation or the the change in regulation of psilocybin are somewhat related in the sense that the methods we used in the 20th century to regulate these drugs was just stupid and wrong and it hurt us as a society because it created a more anxiety prone a more addictive prone uh you know life and they would actually promote that i mean you remember back in the 50s when they'd have the flintstones smoking cigarettes on television literally marketing them to children and now it's you know, you have to fight a stigma that was created by that century yeah. to advance and be like, no, look at this medical research. Why aren't we doing this? And and what's really fascinating, I've been talking to attorneys throughout the country that are leading this movement, guys like Noah Potter, who, you know, he's been, he's had a psychedelic law blog since the 90s. I mean, this guy knows wow. tremendous amount of information regarding psychedelics and the legal frameworks and stuff like that. But what's, what's fascinating is trying to figure out 
what a responsible, and I really, I, I use the word responsible, a responsible legal framework would be. It would not be the same as cannabis. And there's a school of thought with a lot of the activists that they don't believe it should be medical framework. Because when you're dealing with the medical framework, and, and, and I've talked with Noah Potter about this at length, and he has a great blog regarding this topic. But when you talk about medical, it's either you have a qualifying condition, so you're allowed to do it medically, or if you don't have a qualifying condition, you're a criminal and it's criminal and you're not allowed to do it. And the way Noah feels and a lot of the other attorneys I've talked to is that there's so much value beyond medical um, for psilocybin mushrooms, for example, spiritual. And that's why my not-for-profit is using medical as well as spiritual research to drive responsible legal reform. That always pissed me off about the cannabis movement is that they would always put the kibosh uh, on the First Amendment rights. If, if somebody says, no, I believe in cannabis for spiritual reasons and it's my right to practice my religion how I want to practice, they'd still say, nah. Right. Well, and in both, both cannabis and mushrooms, it's a wellness issue. Because, I mean, people do abuse it, but at the same token, people can take a lot of it and their life is better for it. You know, we've criminalized. We America is suffering from what I like to think is a, like the preacher daughter syndrome, right? Like you got her all suppressed and you kept her in the closet all your life. And now, oh, shit, we're all fucked up because I forgot to teach you how to do things right. You know, coffee yeah. is a drug you know, the caffeine in our daily lives. Isn't that how they would usually, and again, uh, the reason why I never got into mushrooms because I did them once and they gave me the shits and the pukes at the same time. <laughs> Terrible way to start, but you know, it happens. And so, um, and then also I, it still got me kind of uh, tripping balls, not quite to that level, but uh, it was a time investment as well. But uh, from what I've looked into it, don't they have like shaman that are supposed to be like your, your guide for the particular yeah. And I'll tell you, there's guys out here in Miami doing it. <clears throat> I've talked to them that, you know, they're essentially shaman down here that lead people through these spiritual journeys. Um, there's also groups down here that set up retreats out, out in Jamaica where it's fully legal. So, you know, they, it's very what they talk a lot about is your set and your setting. You need to be sure be sure when they say set, you have to have the right intention going into it and you have to have the right setting because your emotions get pulled in one direction or the other. So if you're in a horrible setting around people you don't trust and you don't like, you're going to have a horrible trip and vice versa. If you're in a beautiful setting where, you know, it's, it, 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 if you're among people that you, you care about and that care about you and who are looking out for you. And that's what a shaman's job is, is really to, to lead you through the journey. Um, and, and I hate to say, it's funny that I, I feel like you, two years ago, I would have never been talking like this. I'm, I'm certainly no hippie or anything like that, but you know, well, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe you're trying to infiltrate the hippies' circles. <laughs> no, but, you mean, know, like, honestly, these are just facts. Honestly, the hippies have yeah. had it right the whole time. But I'm that's the whole kidding. thing, because like right now, you're experiencing the stigma that we're fighting against in real time. Because yeah. like, like I wouldn't have thought this two years ago, and and people are expressing that like, look, the stigma was imp imposed upon me, and now I've gone through that, and it, I realize it was just bullshit. But man, well, that drugs. stuff works. That that yeah. stigma works, man. With, with drugs, you know, what you call spirituality, whether it be with cannabis or mushrooms, uh, it's also psychology, right? Spirituality is psychology. It's our, it's our mind wellness. You know, we talk about mental health, and, and that's what spirituality is, too. It's like when you have proper mental health and a perspective where you're like, you know what, whether you're taking it for PTSD or physical actual pain, you can still operate as a human being. And and we people live without that awareness they live without that feeling goodness because they're afraid to take it because it's illegal 
right? They, they were, I, I, that's why I think, you know, we, the, it's all about being responsible. I think we need to be resp responsible as a society. We need to be responsible with our laws and we need to be responsible with ourselves. And, you know, if, if you take drugs irresponsibly or you have irresponsible regulations and you just decriminalize with no regulations, I don't, I'm not for that either. So it's very important that we have these conversations. We do the research that we need to be doing and we have constructive discussions that we can. I'll be honest, I don't know personally what the legal framework should be. And that's why my not for profit, I'm not going straight to decriminalization right now. What I'm trying to do is raise awareness, not only for society, for myself, because I want to figure out the right legal framework. Because There's other places like look, Kevin out in Denver. I've talked with him. He did a great job in lead, lead, leading decriminalized Denver. I've um, talked to the guys out in Oakland. I've talked to people really throughout the country and they've done a tremendous job. But right now, me personally, I don't feel good about putting out certain legislation until I really have raised my own awareness. And that, that's what I'm trying to do is raise awareness among the Floridians, among the country, among the world and myself. And so that we could come to the right solution here with respect to regulations for it. Well, it's kind of hard when you promote like a plant or a thing. And then it's kind of like saying, hey, kids, go ahead and smoke some weed. But I don't want to be responsible for anybody else's fucking kids as far as like yeah. I didn't tell them to smoke the weed. I know it's, it's a harmless. Like I really don't give a fuck like you know it's like yeah, yeah take but I'm, it, it I'm, a, a, I'm a proponent of, of of really having an age minimum i think if i would have taken these drugs as a youngster i think i you know your your brain i don't think is developed enough but as a grown human being if you're taking these drugs with a certain intention whether it's mdma there's a lot of proof mdma helps with with ptsd psilocybin mushrooms these all are categories within the psychedelics and if, you, if you're an adult and you take them with the right intention and with the right understanding, I truly believe they could be medicinally. But if these drugs are abused, they could also be extremely detrimental. So it's it's important that we just have the conversation. That's that's how it is yeah. like with uh, the cannabis laws in Florida or in, in whatever state. You're asking people to take a reasoned firsthand knowledge uh, honest perspective on a complex issue that they feel a certain way on. It's so much easier for somebody just to say, no, I don't support it. I don't want anything because then they don't have to create uh, something that's going to make them feel like they have to question anything or they have to change something that has never existed before. So you get these brand new cannabis laws in Florida where you have to have the $50 million or in Illinois where it's 4,000 applications for 75 licenses. So you know that people are going to sue the state of Illinois and try to settle for a license. And yeah. at least that, that, that growing pain that is there is us working through this process of making sure that we have a legislative change but yeah, I mean, it's just so despicable that it's just easy. The easiest thing is just to say, no way, arrest them all. And, and, that's, and that's really, that's kind of like what the municipalities are doing here in Florida. You know, they have the right under our statute to ban dispensaries. So a lot of them are saying, we don't want to come up with our, what the legal framework should yeah. be in our ordinance. It's much easier for us to have a one-liner that says they are banned pursuant to Florida statute 381.986. Boom, we're done. We don't need to worry about it. Let the other municipalities figure it out. They'll be the laboratories for experimentation. Once they, they do what they do, then we'll consider revising, which really that's what's happening now is that those other municipalities, just like federalism allows states to be laboratories of experimentation. Hey, so that's, that's great. We can now talk about the States Act. I think yeah. it violates the 14th Amendment. What do you think about the States Act? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I you know, the state tech that has a lot of good language in it has a lot of bad language in it. Um, I like that the discussion is at least moving forward on some sort of, uh, you know, the federal government at least respecting state law to some extent. And really what right. people don't understand about the States Act is it's just really cod codifying federalism, essentially, and, and allowing the states to be laboratories um, of experimentation. Um, I'm, I'm curious to hear what your analysis is as far as why it... it because why then it's, 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 it, it, it takes the federal law and it kind of plugs in the state laws. So now you are treating federal people under a different state rubric. And, and so like if I'm in Indiana, I'm a criminal. But if I'm in Illinois for the same conduct, I'm a free man. And so it sets up this, you know, slave state, free state kind of problem. Well, it's not slave state, it's criminal states. But if you can criminalize somebody, you can make them a slave, according to the 13th Amendment. So it, it creates a non-uniform uh, federal law that treats people differently based upon the state that they're in for the same action. And that's and, what the state acts does, right? Because I'm not the lawyer guy. I'm a, just a technician here. So yeah. like the state's acts is the one that says, okay, we're each individually going to do our own thing, like like right. cannabis legalization, right? And 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 some have it, some haven't, and it's still still fairly illegal overall. Um, yeah, I, uh, as far as you know that issue. So how many other issues like that exist in America though? Like None. we can all agree that kid fucking is bad, but yeah. we can't agree that this benign plant should be like. The, that's a problem. State sex, I think, is a great thing because if there's other questions so deep to our society that still be offensive, you know, there are some questions we got to ask. But this question's already been answered. Like, we need to fucking grow up, legalize things in a certain level, educate each other. Like, you know, uh, we all know drinking too much is bad, you know, and, and yeah, what happens is people. But you well, can end up in a hospital, car. you know. I think what's important to understand is that, like, you know, when you think about big companies, it's very hard for them to make decisions. They, you know, they take a long time. They have a board of directors. They have shareholders to answer to. When you're talking about small companies, they can make quick decisions. It's very similar with states versus the federal government. Right. The federal government is a huge ship trying to make a turn, and they just can't make a full turn as quick as a state can make a turn. And so they're trying to take these baby steps and wiggle around the issue and, and, you know, get something pushed forward. And slowly but surely, I'm quite confident that there will be um, an abandonment of this federal prohibition of cannabis. It's just the ship is large and it's yeah. very, very hard to move. Yeah, but how many other moral questions are there out there like this? None that I can yeah, think of. Well, that's why I, that's why I do cannabis law because it's so yeah. unique and it's so different. I've, you know, this is why guys like me and Thomas, I think are, are it's important when I tell people, if you're sorry, trying to start a cannabis company and you're not dealing with an attorney that really knows what they're doing with cannabis, you're going to run into all sorts of binds because it sure. is not like any other industry. People could compare it to liquor in some of these recreational states. It ain't liquor. It's are, you different. are you guys aware of the, uh, the other uh, top cannabis lawyer that's, been in a conversation quite lately in news. Uh, oh yeah, the guy who's representing um Parnas. Parnoff. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's a can't now this guy, I mean, and, and Keith Strop just sent out an email to, to all the normal legal counsel about him, but I think he is more of a criminal defense attorney in the sense that he likes cannabis and he yeah. is uh his criminal clients you know, vociferously, but uh, I, I don't think they call it vociferously in law school. I think they call it zealously. But still, um, uh, yes, that that's the I can't remember his name, but he's a criminal lawyer who's Joseph Brody. Yeah. Brody. Yeah. Right. Brody. Well, I just think well, the fact that yeah. he like, is 
upon himself to 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 fight for the morality of marijuana in courts, but yet at the same time he got picked to help uh defend this guy who's being thrown under like national news. Well, yeah, it's money, but check and then like that's the thing. Yeah. So if he pays that money that he got ill-gottenly from Ukraine and he pays it to Sly or whatever his name is, and then he takes that to his bank and deposits it, they don't kick him out uh, because he's a, a tier two MRB. Now, if I try to do that for my law firm, because my client pays me 50 grand, well, pays me $100,000 to go sue the state of Illinois so I can settle for a license, my bank might shut me down because they'll be like, no, that's different. You see, if you're defending somebody for a crime, it's fine. But if you're defending somebody to break a crime, you're a clear uh, a tier two MRB. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that's that's a distinction. I think us us lawyers in the cannabis space really tiptoe on because, you know, technically, if we're facilitating, if you're defending a criminal, you're allowed to defend a criminal. But to the extent that marijuana is federally illegal, when I'm you know, if you're trying to facilitate a cannabis transaction and you're doing an M&A deal, or you're doing yeah. a real, real estate deal, whatever it might be to, you that's know, like, that's like a different federal crimes right there. Well, yeah. I think what people don't understand too that your guys' necessity, your guys' importance, Tom's and, and yours, Dustin's, as far as uh, the business side of things, is it's like the how in America we can conclude business. And you know, it's very it's our civility. It's how we uh, you know contracts and whatnot. You know, it's, it's well, not like America at its core is a contract. Yeah, That's what the Constitution is. So, like America really gave birth to this corporate. Idea. I realize that you can trace corporations further back to like the East, the Dust Each India Company, but um, that was for the Dutch. Like, you know, from the concept of a country that is a corporation that allows for other corporations and other contracts to be enforced, uh, America is um, unlike any other country that existed before it. Yeah. And just to circle back on what we were talking about with the States Act, how, you know, now some states it'll be criminal and other states it won't be criminal. It creates all sorts of confusion. What we've never seen in an industry is a situation where these MSOs, multi-state operators that are operating, they have to they have to have different labels and different SOPs for every single state that they're in to comply. It's extremely inefficient. That's why I'm very involved in ASTM D37, which is the globalization standards for the cannabis industry. And until we have global standards on how we should test our products, how they should be labeled, you know, how they should be packaged, how they should be disposed of. Until we have standardized ways of doing things, the industry is going to continue to be extremely inefficient, inefficient, and the cost of doing business for these cannabis companies is going to be extremely high. And that's why I think some of these stock prices you're seeing plummet, you know, I mean, for, for many reasons, but one of them is just no one could have foreseen the extreme cost there is on simple compliance from state to state. You can't have just, hey, these are our labels and this is how we're going to sell in every single state. No, each state, when you're an MSO, you need to have every state has its own labels. And guess what? You better stay on top of any legal changes with respect to those labels because the law changes very quickly in each and every state. 
So don't go buy a hundred thousand labels because you could get save yourself, you know, a couple pennies on it because it might change the very next day. So there's just tons of challenges. Yep. And because every single state is its own thing. And then you have to have a supply chain and the supply chain is on a state by state basis itself because all the product must be grown in a particularized state. So you can't really get any economies of scale from being an interstate operator like you can for these MSOs. But then what you can get is a higher cost of doing business because also as soon as somebody finds out you're in the cannabis game, you have to deal all in cash and they jack your prices because they think you're making money hand over fist. And we were talking in the you know backstage about like uh, some numbers for grows and what type of cash flow they can throw off. Yeah, it's a cash flow business, but it's a capital and cash intensive business. So just because it's, it can cash flow a lot doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot to do it if you even get the right to do it. You know, and all these things are creating problems. But one of the things we should partner on over the course of the next decade is uh, the marijuana uniform commercial code or the cannabis commercial code or something like that, where you take and you standardize these because it's going to be like any other uh, legislation. Like the ERA just got to that 38th state. Like it was passed in the 70s. Right. (laughs) But then we had that. I think it was a 25th Amendment that was like passed in like 1789. But it took until like a few years ago before it was actually codified. I don't know. I'm not the constitutional scholar that I, I've never been a constitutional scholar. Well, but, I, school, I was way better at constitutional law than I am now. Yeah. Cause yeah. you actually, it, it was relevant to your life then. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, it's fun. And that's, that's why I love it because it's, it's a historic issue and it's uh it's an issue that is unlike anything else. And it, and it has so many different applications. So it's not just, agricultural compliance corporate you know it 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 touches on all those things and it's and yeah. it, it's fascinating you know and one of the things i wanted yeah. to just circle back on is you know we talked uh, about how in florida originally um it was low thc and then we didn't know we didn't have smokable flour and that was changed in the last legislative se- session now we have smokable flour and i'll tell you the current licensees can't produce it fast enough wow I don't think anyone could have predicted the demand for flour. You know, everyone got excited about vapes <laughs> and all this other stuff. Maybe no. you predicted that, dude. That- so, as you were talking about the numbers earlier, this, this is all predictable. Like this, the market for cannabis is huge. The fact that you guys started with four producers yeah. is what hurts your culture, the whatever your your consumer experience. But now that you got more people, more variety, more experience. It's going to turn into. Uh, its own thing, its own, you know, there's somebody going to be doing events. There's somebody that's going to be like everything auxiliary ha- happens. Like you're talking about with the yeah, transporters and, and whatnot. That's really the best idea right there is like cracking that open. So you can get all those ancillary businesses out there. But you said something that I thought was interesting because I'm, I'm not a Florida lawyer. I don't intend to ever take a Florida bar exam. We'll see what happens in the future. But um, so you guys make an amendment to the Constitution and then the legislature starts to make changes to that because you said that the, the amendment said uh, low THC, no smokable flour. And so now they've removed the low THC and the smokable flour aspect. So the, 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 the low THC actually was through a statute prior to the constitutional amendment. Then the constitutional amendment came in and actually allowed for for high THC um product the, the constitution was was silent with respect to smokable um but through with res- but there were lawsuits filed and through the lawsuits basically um essentially the governor came, when the governor came on board he basically put out a policy that he was a proponent of of smokable marijuana and so 
they revised the statute to make it um, make it allowed. There was a big debate over over putting a THC cap. And from what I understand in this next legislative session, there's another push to try to put a THC cap on these uh, on our medical marijuana program. Obviously, you know, that's what's interesting about the, the industry. You know, we're always trying to make progress, but we also got to keep fighting just to hold our position. So right now they're allowed to have high THC medical marijuana in Florida, but that fight like is these, still like, Do you guys have like the vape pens? Because like this is a, it's a nature's grace and wellness, but it was probably about like 80% uh, cannabinoids when it was. Yeah, we, we, have, we, have, we have vape pens. Um, what we don't have, so what's interesting is the statute allows for edibles, um, but the Department of Ag and our Department of Health are supposed to work together on edible rules and edible rules have not come out. So um, currently in Florida, we do not have edibles, which I think is, 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 you know, I think a lot of people prefer edibles and it's unfortunate that our patients don't have access to edibles. Another thing that's interesting in Florida that we're still waiting on is, is they have not approved any third party testing labs in Florida. So what? I represent, yeah, I represent Green Scientific Labs, which is one of the premier testing labs here in Florida. And they, the, the Department of Health hasn't gotten around to putting out the third party testing rules. Now they just put out an emergency rule that um, has not been adopted that would then put so right now these third-party testing labs the department of health is allowing them to handle marijuana just contractually there's no license that the third-party testing labs have they just have to be contracted within with an mmtc a marijuana medical marijuana treatment center in order to be able to do that testing which is creating all sorts of issues and quite honestly right now in florida the the testing is somewhat self-regulated which means Look, these are businesses, and if they don't have to test something, if they could yeah, call their own self-regulated, you know, yeah. we got to deal with the so, FAA. But that's that's coming up in Illinois too, where they don't have. I mean, they they mentioned stuff about testing. There are testing labs, but they haven't opened up for for new testing labs, and that's more of that ancillary business. They're trying to limit uh, concentrates in Washington State, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's uh, the some legislatures are trying to push some bullshit ten percent bill. So we hope the that. I mean, it just. Like you said, you get so far and then you have to fight for what you already have. Like it doesn't stop. It comes back and it's like, oh, oh, you're using it in a concentrated form. Yes. But the questions I can only ask is why? Like, why is it all of a sudden important that we have these limits? Why is it where this plant touched you? I mean, seriously, what did it do to you? Um, Yeah, well, you know, in Florida, there was in in, over the past few months, they've brought a lot of people, a lot of doctors in, a lot of out of state players that were that were against um, cannabis. And in Tallahassee, there was a lot of speakers that were going out there and they were having uh, information sessions and hearings where these doctors were basically talking about the dangers of higher THC limits. And and I'll tell you, it created a lot of anger with a lot of the doctors that I work with. Um, and you know, now they're starting to put on their own informational sessions, explaining why it's important to actually have, um, access to the higher THC. And quite honestly, right now, what, what would be, if they were to do something where they maxed out the THC amount, what's interesting is all the strains and all the varieties that they're growing right now are are for the most part are for high THC, right? So if that law were to go in, essentially the Florida companies would have to redo and all the strains and all the varieties and everything they're doing, which would cause a, a whole issue with patient access and, and all sorts of different issues. So I'm hopeful what that they're that trying will... to limit the THC levels. What's that? What's the, what's the maximum ceiling they're trying to limit it to? And 10% is what they discussed. 
Okay. No, that's that's like, you know, if we had Ethan Russo, Dr. Russo on here, he'd be like, no, that's a, a, a cannabis level two chemovar in the sense that, you know, that's those balanced ones because you have the 20 to one ratio, which is usually your CBD hemp, like your lifter strains. And then you have the opposite ratio that or sometimes it's just all THC and that would be like your gorilla glue. And then so if you did it like a, a, a gorilla lifter. Uh, then that should be more of a balanced one-to-one THC-CBD ratio. And even those can go over 10%. So you'd still have to be watching your flower. And so then you'd get, it'd be like saying, you now have to pick all apples when they're unripe. And guess what? People just smoke more. If you smoke more of 10% THC marijuana, you're going to be consuming more marijuana and probably get even more high. You're just going to have to spend more money. So it's going to hurt the consumer, the patient who has to buy additional marijuana just to reach the, there's no patient home grow in florida yet right correct so home grow is a big issue obviously the 22 licensees are i think are probably going to lobby against it and and the 22 licensees for patients like that, or for adults i don't think the 22 licensees will want home grow to happen at all period, because, no, period. Wow. yeah I, I, look i don't know but but you know at, at the end of the day these 22 licensees like i said in Florida, it's an enormous market. These 22 licensees have a lot of money behind them. And a lot of the lobbyists that are in Tallahassee right now are lobbying on their behalf. So that's one of the big hurdles that you would have to get over is the fact that you're going to have these 22 licensees spending a lot of lobbying dollars on keeping home grow out of Florida. Um, now, look, I, I don't know. There might be, you know, I haven't talked. I don't want to speak on behalf of all the licensees. Maybe some of them are in support of it. Um, but from from a broader perspective, you know, most likely they, 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 they'll take some sort of position against homegrown. You know, you guys are losing out on so much money for pointing out that recreational will also go towards tourism dollars because right now your medical guaranteed 100%. I mean, there might not be um, what they call diversion, you know, leaves the state, whatnot. But I guarantee you a lot of that medical purchases are going to local residents, you know, non-medical patients. So as soon as they have that medical purchase for recreation or the recreational purchase, you're going to be pulling in that that uh, that guy who's been pulling what he calls black market, but it's buddy who who's medical. You know, you're going to get that market plus the tourism. Yeah. Like you guys have retarded tourism. Crazy. That's what you live off of. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, that, that's why that's why these people are spending so much money on a license down here, right? I mean, look, they're not doing it for the three hundred thousand patients. They're doing it for the twenty million popul twenty million person population we have, plus all the tourism we have. So, you know, these these guys aren't, you know, we you don't have people signing checks for $50 million for a piece of paper just because they think they can get access to 300,000 patients. They're doing it because they see that, you know, when recreational happens here in Florida, it's going to be tremendous opportunity. And quite honestly, it's going to be gangbusters. There's going to be a lot, a lot of money to be made. There's going to be a lot of competition. You know, I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's like a business. you got to be able to, I, I tell a lot of people they want to get in this industry. They think it's easy money. No, it's like any other business. You got to be smart. You got to work with the people that know what they're doing, work with the right attorneys, the right accountants, the right finance people, right investors. And you got to compete just like any other business. There's there's no easy way uh, to make a buck yeah. here. That's great. That, that can bring us back to something we can kind of wrap up on here. So, Dustin, for uh, Florida marijuana in 2020, what do you kind of see happening? Um. Well, Florida marijuana in 2020. So... Right now, we have this Supreme Court case happening. Um, we also have that bill I, I talked about that's in the legislature. Um, I don't see that bill passing. I'm hopeful. If it does, then that would be great. We'll have recreational here. I don't see that bill passing. I don't see the legislator doing anything until the Florida Supreme Court makes a ruling on that case. The case is it's, a, it's the Flora Grown case. Um, that, that's the company that brought suit. 
And I'm hoping the Supreme Court will make ruling on that in the next few months, assuming that they affirm the lower courts. The legislator will probably have to go back for a special session. They'll have to revise the statute. Um, we all know how the legislative process could take a long time. Then the DOH will have to release new rules. Then the DOH will have to release applications and then they'll start accepting applications. So, you know, I'm, I'm very, very hopeful that we might have some licenses issued in 2020. I'm very, very doubtful that we'll have licenses issued in 2020. More than likely, there won't be any additional licenses issued until at least 2021, unfortunately. Um, but I'm hopeful. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm getting super active in other states. That's why I work with you on some of the Illinois applications. Uh, you know, I'm planning to work with you on some of these additional applications we got. I got a group in West Virginia. I got a work, work group in Georgia I'm working with. Um, you know, really working with a, a various different groups all over. Um, to help them get access. And, and a lot of them are Florida-based companies that are looking to expand into other states as well. So, but there's a lot of, lot of stuff to be done. I'm hopeful that, you know, like I said, the third-party testing lab rules, I'm hopeful will come out. I'm hopeful that they'll be, um, they'll be licensing some of these third-party testing labs so that the, the patient, and once again, circle back, it's all about the patient. I want the patient to get the best product that they could be getting. And if this product is not being, if it's self-regulated with respect to the testing, there's a lot of risk that some of this product being put out in the Florida market is not fully tested. And it's going to just take one recall or somebody gets really sick. So where can people find you, man? They can find me at my law firm is www.mrcannabislaw.com. That's mrcannabislaw.com. You can also follow me on all social media at hashtag Mr. Cannabis Law. Awesome. Well, you know, I really uh, thank you for coming on the show. And yeah, as Florida develops new things, please come back and share it on.